This is Jared Fishman, and you're listening to the 20-Sided Gamified Podcast. The past 20 years, I've blended games and education together in the classroom. I'm a history teacher, a game-based learning specialist, and I serve on the board of HMGS NextGen Inc. and the North American Simulations and Games Association. I'm looking to broaden my own knowledge of game-based learning by talking to the people that do it best. Pull up a chair, get your dice ready, and enjoy the ride. Friends, as we all know, life in the modern world can be pretty tough sometimes. Whether it's that overwhelmed feeling caused by the 24-hour news cycle or that exhausted keeping up with the Joneses marathon that many people feel like they're running on a daily basis, or simply trying to get by day in and day out. The good news is that there are now platforms designed to provide us with the support we need. Our sponsor, BetterHelp, is a wonderful resource that's purposely designed to be accessible and personalized to your exact specifications. With the click of a button, you can sign up and be matched with a professional of the highest standards, a specialist that can be an unbiased support system throughout your week and beyond. And BetterHelp goes out of its way to ensure that your needs are met. If the professional you're matched up with isn't working out, BetterHelp will work tirelessly to match you up with someone who will. Here at 20-Sided Gamified, we fully and readily support our listeners' goals of living healthy, fulfilling lives filled with laughter, fun, gaming, and stories to pass on from generation to generation. We are proud to have a partnership with BetterHelp, and we hope you'll look into this wonderful opportunity and resource at a time where we all may need a little boost. Signing up for BetterHelp has never been easier. Go to betterhelp.com slash 20sidedgamified to learn more and sign up at a 10% discount for your first month. You can also gain access to BetterHelp through the link provided in our show notes. Thank you so much. All right, 20-sided gamified podcast fans, your loyal host, Jared Fishman, is here. I hope you're doing well out there. Kelly McManus, arguably really like one of the great co-hosts of all time. Kelly, how you doing, dude? I, I have returned. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know. Absolutely. And you've had a, you've had a rough go of it the last couple of days, oh, yeah, huh? It's been fun. It's been a good time. Work is, uh, work is, uh, I mean, dreadful is not the right word. No, but. it's not dreadful. It's just been very busy. Um, and it's, just, it's at that time of year where, I mean, we're recording this in mid-December. Right. And yeah. uh, Christmas is around the corner. Yeah. And you're just trying to claw your way to the end of the year and something is grabbing you and just dragging you back. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. <laughs> the good news, though, is yes, the holidays are almost here. Um, I was saying this in one of the other podcasts I recorded today. So thankfully, uh, vacation, at least for me, is here. So I get a little bit of, res- of a respite from uh, work. Um, and I'm not going to lie, I, uh, I'm very excited right now. This is, I know, Kelly, you're giggling, but uh, I'm very excited. Yeah. And, and the reason, be. yeah, I, yeah, um, the reason I'm very excited is because, and everybody knows this. I know I repeat myself. I say this to my students all the time. I'm like a parakeet. Um, I only invite people onto the show that I want to talk to. So that's why I never sound bored. This is a big one for us in a, in a lot of ways. Um, now, Kelly, you're a youngin. Mm-hmm. You are a youngin, right? Not going to out you on your age or anything. Everybody can see my gray hairs and my beard. Uh, you know, don't get me wrong. Back in the day growing up, Kel, um, I could go to the Complete Strategist in New York City and find historical miniatures. But in the 90s, 
a lot of the times here in the US, you know, you go to a comic book store and don't get me wrong, great games, you know, whether you're talking about D&D, whether you're talking about Warhammer, uh, both versions, right? So Warhammer Fantasy Battle, uh, Warhammer 40K, all of their different games. Miniatures were there, but historical wargaming is always kind of on the periphery. Maybe you might find something in the 90s uh, historical wargaming related, but not usually. So here's the deal. I can very safely say that that is not the case anymore. And I have a, a certain gentleman that I'm going to introduce in one second that works for one of these companies that I think is just vitally important, not just to wargaming, not just to gaming, but really like putting historical wargaming into a place where somebody can see it and buy it right then and there because Warlord Games is that company, right? It is probably the most visible historical wargaming company out there. Kelly, I see you nodding. I would say it's like the games workshop of historical miniatures. Yeah. I mean, there's no other company that has the the breadth right. um, and and scale of you know what what they're putting out. No, absolutely. And bottom line is, maybe a week ago or so, I saw an exceedingly uh, inspiring post on Instagram where Warlord Games put out a little note about the fact that, you know, they've been doing some educational outreach. And I was just so floored by that. I sent in a couple comments to them just about, you know, how happy I was as a classroom teacher to be able to see this. And sure enough, they reached out back to me. And now I can kind of introduce the guest. Um, we have Marcus Vine here from Warlord Games, direct from Nottingham, England. Uh, and what we're going to talk a little bit about is just Warlord in general, talk a little bit about some of this educational outreach, and really just nerd out a little bit um, and just talk to a, a person from a company that I know that we all pretty much admire, you know? Marcus, hello, sir. Hello, thank you very much, gents. That's a lovely intro. I like those. Um, how are we doing today? No, I mean, we're doing great. Yeah. Kelly, I don't. I don't we're, want to speak for you. No, no, we're. I'm. I'm surviving. We're good. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> so, Marcus, I, again, um, just I know how busy you guys are, especially this time of year. So the fact that you were willing to come on and play around with uh, the uh, you know difference in time, um, I really appreciate it. Oh no, it's no problem at all. At the end of the day, I love chatting hobby as much as anyone else. So yeah, the opportunity to come on and just sit down and nerd out with some guys that you know. I've not necessarily spoken to before, get some yeah. different perspectives and find that common ground. It's really exciting. So yeah, thank you for, for sure. having me. No, absolutely. So, I mean, why don't we rock and roll? I mean, let's just do it. So, I mean, um, there is a little bit of a, a general flow to this podcast, but I don't know. I think I want to go a little bit out of order for a moment. Um, so, Marcus, obviously, we know that you game. Um, could you talk a little bit about just like how did you get to Warlord Games? Could you tell that story? Yeah, sure. So, um, the very shortened version of it is I grew up wargaming and okay. it was Games Workshop. You know, I grew up in the late, very late 90s, early 2000s. So it was Games Workshop all over the place. And just to immediately jump on the educational angle, I remember at school, maybe when I was seven, eight, nine years old, in the school library, there must have been a teacher that played or something mm -hmm. because there were just stacks of classic white dwarfs. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> um, in the library. And I'd grown up sort of when I was really young making scale models with my dad, um, you know, airfix and all that good stuff. Mm -hmm. um, 
and just see, see these magazines. I didn't really know much about, you know, the law or the idea of games, but the idea that you could play games with these models that you make just really grabbed me. Um, and I think my parents must have noticed that I was getting into it with a sort of a due sense of dread. Oh, no, here we go. Um, <laughs> but I got, I got my first uh, kits, I think would have been for my ninth birthday. Um, so that would be about early 2004. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a Space Marine paint, uh, like the start painting set with like five snap fit Marines and some paints yep. and a Predator. Um, and I've still got that Predator somewhere at my parents' <laughs> yep. house. That's awesome. Um, but no, so and then obviously, you know, going through sort of growing up, um, obviously always into it, really into that into that scene. Um, I went to university, um, dropped out of university. It wasn't for me. And I ended up joining the prison service, um, two and a half years as a prison officer. Mm-hmm. When I left the prison service, I didn't have a clue what I was going to do with my life um, because I'm from a military family. Um, so everyone I knew was just kind of in uniform. And I ended up selling cars for a little bit. I sold telecoms for a little bit. And that was all a bit rubbish, to be honest. Yep. And I just saw on the off chance, um, as I was browsing through a job search website one day, that Warlord Games had a, a post going for customer service. Um, and a guy that I worked with at the time, heard we'd kind of clocked that we were both war gamers. We were chatting back and forth. He was a big bolt action guy. And I'd been aware of bolt action, but you know how it is, you know, in your early 20s, you don't have a ton of disposable income. And I was already already involved with 40K. And I was like, oh, that looks really cool, but I don't really have the money to go into a whole new system. So I'd just been aware of it. But I thought, you know what, actually, I think I can do that. I reckon that'd be really fun to do. So I applied for that, um, went and did a trial, did the interview, got the job, which was absolutely fantastic. Um, and I spent three, three and a half years in Warlord Games customer service department, which was absolutely awesome. Just an amazing introduction to the world of wargaming and the, the industry as was. Um, worked with some really, really good people, some absolute legends of the industry. And then after about three and a half years, I was looking to sort of move up, move on professionally in my development. And I'd always been very big on my creative writing side mm-hmm. of things. And a job came up in the marketing team, which at the time was part of the design studio, um, for a hobby content producer. So that was things like articles for the newsletter, uh, product text, and all that sort of stuff. Um, and obviously, I applied for that, and I got it. And over those sort of preceding three and a half years, I'd gotten massively into bolt action, and particularly into the competitive scene, with okay. bolt action. And I'd ended up um, sort of more or less by chance because it was almost a customer service function, being the guy responsible for supporting a few bolt action events, you know, just providing that like, price support. You know, we'd take a team down to a few of them. And that then I think got noticed when I went into the marketing team and they said, Hey, would you like to expand your role to also be the tournament coordinator? And I absolutely jumped at that, and that's kind of my dual role. The marketing team's now its own completely separate entity, which is really cool. Right. Um, and so I'm, if you want my full job title, I'm tournament coordinator and hobby content producer. No, that's um, super cool. And it, and obviously the marketing team is, you know, we're all sort of very much involved in all aspects of the marketing, you know, whether that's the graphic design side, the writing side, the marketing initiatives. So it's a really tight-knit team. 
really good boss, really good few colleagues on that team. Um, and it's just a really, really fun place to work. So that that's that's the really short version of how I ended up at Warlord. And it's basically I saw an advert in the proverbial paper, um, thought I could do that, and yeah. five years later, here we are. It's like opportunity, right? Opportunity yeah. kind of kind of presenting itself, right? The, the, um, the, fun, the funny yeah, thing no, go is, ahead. the funny thing is, I'm really glad that I did go to university for the brief time that I did, because I went to university in Nottingham. And because I'd made a bunch of mates, I didn't leave Knotts and I got a job at a prison near Nottingham. And I by the, then I was working in, you know, selling cars and telecoms and stuff at companies based in Nottingham. So had I not gone to university in the first place, it's one of those sort of serendipitous moments where you think, oh, if not for that one decision all those years ago, none of this would have happened. Um, but no, so that's why I ended up in a position to apply for Warlord even. No, that makes total sense. I mean, I have so many questions. Like just in just in that that one response. I mean, I, I mean, I have to ask you. I mean, what's the stress level like working in a prison? Uh, yeah, what's that it, like it, it's a it's a pretty tough job. Um, to be yeah. honest, I, I was quite lucky. My service was relatively steady. Right. Um. I you know I was never injured or anything like that. Um. But it it is a it is a stressful job. It is a high risk job. Um, I joined my first day of training was the day after my 21st birthday. Oh, wow. So, so I joined very young. Right. Um, but, you know, I, I, I kind of, I'm very glad I did it. I'm very glad I left when I did. Um, it's a chapter of my life that definitely had a big influence on me as, as yeah. a person and my ability to deal with things. Oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's ironic. Um, I actually wanted to be a fighter pilot growing up. Okay. Okay. And I went and applied to the RAF. I went and did all the, the tests to see if you could be a pilot. And they told me, no, you'll never be able to fly. Your hand-eye coordination isn't good enough. Right. So I was like, okay, well, all my family are in uniform. What other uniforms can I wear? Mm -hmm. um, so I went and did that. But no, say it's a very interesting period of my life. Um, yeah. But yeah. It, it reminds it, me... It reminds me a little bit. I can connect to what you're saying because I mean, the I, I mean, I think most people know this, but I mean, my main job—I'm a school teacher—and the very, very first school teaching job I had was probably the most difficult uh, school I ever worked at. Where I mean, it was really like kids, like just like twenty or so kids, where it was like this was their last step before like going to jail, yeah, whether no, it's because absolutely. their families are a disaster or they struggled. So it was kind of like going from that into going to my future jobs. Everything after looked easy. 100%. It, you know what like, I mean? Anytime you have a difficult day at the office, you're like, you know what, actually. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, for sure. And you know, the funny part is the kids were great. Like the kids I worked with, it's just that they struggled so much, you know? So yeah. um, here's a question for you. So uh, when you say um, coordinating all the tournaments, is this like worldwide or just in England or just Europe or? So... I'm responsible for tournaments. So that's obviously providing support and enabling tournament organizers to put the best event possible on Got for it. the entire world, with the exception of North America and Australasia. Okay. Um, North America, my colleague John Russell does a fantastic job supporting all of our events. If you've ever been to an event that Warlord's at, there's a good chance you've run into him or one of his Probably. raiders. Um, and then in Australasia, just because of the distance is involved, our yeah. distributors, War and Peace Games, yep. they handle that side of the support. Right. Um, but I'm broadly responsible also for setting the policy of how we're going to provide that support and the levels of support we provide. 
No, that's very cool. So, I mean, you must be in contact. I mean, how many people run tournaments? I mean, there must be a lot of people uh, that you have to be in touch with. Thinking off the top of my head, we've put on over 160 events worldwide this year alone. Yeah, so I mean, um, I'm sh- again, I'm shaking my head, which you can probably see because again, like, I, I'm not that old, but I mean, I, you know, I was born in 81. So hearing you say that is just mind-blowing to me because again, like back in the day, um, historical wargaming is this thing that you do that nobody else, you know, knows that you do. And Warlord is just such a large organization that hearing that, it makes me very happy to know that so many people are out there are wargaming, you know? Well, absolutely. At the end of the day, we really want to unite all of the like-minded hobbyists and wargamers in the world under the Warlord Games banner. Right. Because there's so many amazing people in this community, but crucially, there's so many amazing people that aren't in the community yet yes. that we want to bring in and have be part of the community well, and we're all together. My friend, that could be an entire other podcast because I think that's super, super important. You know, like just, it's just such a great hobby. And I mean, me selfishly and, and maybe not even selfishly, maybe like just thinking about the worldwide audience, I'd love to see as many people historical wargaming as there are people playing, you know, something like a 40K or, uh, you know, you know, things along those lines. So, so let me ask you a very simple question. So what hmm. is your average day like? Um, so average day, uh, I'll obviously head into the office at nine o'clock in the morning. Right. Um, and then it very much depends on where we're at and, you know, in the year where we're at with certain projects. So I'll typically come in and the first thing I'll ask the guys um, on the people on the team is, is there any urgent writing that needs doing? Mm-hmm. You know, for example, and it's a sad example, but if someone in the, in the, in the industry's passed away mm-hmm. and the news is broken overnight and we think that as a company we want to pay our respects, that's the kind of thing that Mike said, Marcus, can you just write that up urgently for us? Yeah. Or, you know, if um, the store's going to be closed, for example, or something like that. Any urgent text, I'll just ask for that. If there's none of that, then obviously I've got my big job list. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's obviously split between what events I've got to support, what stage there, all that. So, you know, is a guy contacting me for the first time or am I, you know, just in the final details of getting prizes shipped out to an event? And then obviously it's what other writings needed, you know, whether that's product text for the website, whether that's articles for the community site. And that's all dependent on obviously the larger plan. Yeah. Um, and then it's sort of, work through the day, knock off shortly after five and uh, head home. Yeah, I'm kind of interested in like the logistics of that, like especially with tournaments and and being in contact with so many different organizations. Is there like some sort of hub or is it all on a one-by-one basis? Like when someone wants to run, be it like a bolt action uh, competition, like how does that, what does that look like? So the first step of contact is you email info at warlordgames.com. And that's our central customer service inbox. And you just basically say, hey, I want to run a tournament. Do you guys want to support it? Can you help? The customer service team, they will flow that to me. And they'll just assign that to me. Because one of the, the great perks of having worked in customer service is I've got access to and familiarity with all of their systems. So they'll just assign that message to me. I'll pick it up in my inbox. I'll then have the conversation from there. And it's very simple. It's a a series of nine questions that I ask. And that's basically, what are you doing? Where are you? Who are you? Tell us about it. Tell me why everyone should want to come to this event. And tell me how many people are coming. 
and the number of people that are coming obviously determines the amount of price support we send. Um, very simply, the more players you have, the more goodies you get. Yeah, it makes um, sense. Just to give up, just to pass around, basically. Um, and then once that's once we've I've got the answers to those questions back, I arrange for the support to get shipped out, and then it goes on our events website, which is basically it's play.warlordgames.com, and that's a hub where you can go on and just see all of the events that have been supported by us and are being supported by us, and you can find events in your local area that you might want to go to. Got it. Would you say that Bolt Action is the biggest kind of tournament game that you guys have? Overwhelmingly. Yeah. Um, and there's a couple of reasons for that, I think. Um, so one is that a lot of historical games, um, I, this is when the further back you go in time period, the uh, not a pro- less appropriate, but the less obvious as a tournament game they are. For example, it's much easier to run a tournament for, say, Bolt Action or Blood Red Skies or Victory at Sea than it is for Hail Caesar. Right. That's not to say it can't be done. I've supported Hail Caesar and Black Powder and Black Seas events before, but we know that the majority of people that want to play competitively are going to gravitate towards Bolt Action. And it's yeah. also important to sort of say what I mean by an event and a tournament. For me, that doesn't need to be absolute, you know, guys knocking seven bells out of each other, down to the wire, nickel and diming on every interpretation of the rules. Right. If you want to play like that, if that's how you have fun, crack on, we love it. But what I love just as much is these, hey, we're going to do one of those grown as in, um, I can't remember where it was in the world now, but it was a doubles event specifically designed to grow the community. And it was... You show up as a new player who's either got your own army, but you've not played much, or you've never played bolt action before, and we'll give you an army, and we'll partner you up with a veteran player, and you're going to run through a one-day doubles tournament. That sounds and, very fun. And they got yeah, <laughs> and, and, and ev- everything in between that, whether yeah. it's super narrative, super competitive, all of those, they all fall under the spectrum. As a general rule, so long as there's at least eight people and someone wins at the end... It's in my wheelhouse. Right. No, that's very cool, you know. Um, and I also love that comment, too, because, and don't get me wrong, you know, whether it's Kelly and I or other guests, I mean, sometimes we do pick at, you know, the the tournament-type players that almost, I don't know, they just get so into the skill and strategy of making their list that sometimes it almost feels like the fun goes out the window. But at the same time, if that's your bag, that's your bag. And you uh, can't, I, do you know what I mean? I think that's the really crucial thing. So I am one of those players. Oh, are you? <laughs> my my perks. So I am and I'm not. So if I'm playing bolt action and I'm, you know, and I'm going to a competition, absolutely I adore the theory hammer, the list building, yep. the absolutely to the knuckle rules interpretations. Right. And then you get on the table and it is just it's sport. I love that. Yeah. Um, but I recognize that that's not how everyone has fun. And the most valid thing you can do in wargaming is to have fun. Yes. So what we will never say as a company, as Warlord Games, is this is how you must play with our models. This yeah. is how you must play our games. All we ask is that you have fun doing yeah. it. And also, that I think, right, and I, I hope I'm not speaking out of turn here, because we've talked about some, actually not some, but like a lot of Warlord Games products here on the podcast, right? I think that what you just said is literally ingrained in the rules themselves. Oh, yeah. Right? 
right, mm-hmm. Kelly? I mean, oh, we talked about this before. Well, we talked uh, the the about the time we we're talking about um, Hail Caesar and Black Powder. It's just, right. There there are frameworks for you to do what you kind of want based yes. off all the optionary rules and flavor yeah, you could absolutely. add. Absolutely. Yeah. It's always nice nice to see a company that knows what it is. I think, um, like very self aware, and I think that. On, I mean, like here, let's just like really keep this positive. I mean, I think when you think of people who love Warlord games, what we're talking about right now is why they love it. Yeah. Does that make sense, Marcus? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and that's the thing. Because historical gaming appeals to so many people, even if some of those people don't yet know that it appeals to them, mm-hmm. because it's got such a broad appeal, I think it would be very naive to try and say, no, we know exactly the way that everyone has fun. Right. And what we do is we make fantastic miniatures and we make great rule sets and we put them out into the world so that people can have fun with them. Yeah. And that's what brings, I think, all of us, but you know, particularly me, the most joy is when we see people just having fun with oh, something yeah. that we've all worked together to produce. We're like, hey, we've improved someone's day. That's awesome. That feels great. Yeah. And I'm again, I'm very glad you're saying all this because that's how I felt when I read your post that was online about like a lot of the educational outreach which that you that you guys do. And I know that we had talked a little bit about this that it's a little bit ad hoc, but mm. I'd love to go down that rabbit hole in a little bit, but I I have to ask you just very quickly, right? It must feel good. Like cuz I don't know if you guys know this, you might but it's almost like the same way in which if if you go up to somebody and you say, oh, if you've ever played a role-playing game, you know, they almost, uh, even though there's a million role-playing games out there, it's, oh, have you played D&D? Like, that's the sort of yeah. connection. I would argue that whether you're just talking about World War II games, it's like you ask somebody, oh, do you play World War II? Oh, do you mean bolt action? Yeah. That yeah. must feel good. I mean, yeah, well, it does. It's bolt you know? action is a fantastic game. We're really happy. Yeah. that people like it, that people engage with it, because that tells us that we're sort of on the money a little bit. you know. And that to come back to that point of you can have fun so many different ways, Yeah, look at the people playing and engaging with Bolt Action. Yep. And on the one hand, yes, you do have the ultra-competitive scene. On the other hand, you've got the incredibly faithful military simulation scene where you're playing a specific engagement with all yep. your troops correctly represented, and then in the middle, you've got everywhere on the spectrum between that. Yeah. And at every point on that spectrum, people have found their niche. They found what makes wargaming fun for them. I was going to say, like, last uh, last night, I was through my um, partner. She has a cousin or something uh, who, who wargames. And she was asking me, like, what games do you play? And I was just like, well, you know, I have miniatures that could fit into a bunch of games, but let me throw like kind of the popular rules out there and bolt action came up. I don't have like the bolt action dice or rule sets yet, but I do have like a Polish home army that I've been uh, <laughs> painting up and collecting. Oh, nice. <laughs> Indeed. So. You know, it's funny, Marcus. I mean, the the very first guest on this show was Rick Priestley. And we yeah. talked quite a lot about, you know, the beginning of Warlord Games and one of the points I made to him, and to me, and you'll appreciate this as a bolt action player, I have said this a million times, and I'll say it until I'm dead. Um, I think the dice order system and the way that that mechanic works is one of the best, most genius gaming mechanics that's ever been put into a game because 
of all the decisions that you have to make when you pull that die? I'm I'm biased, obviously. But <laughs> for my money, yes. bolt action and that order dice mechanic, bolt action is the best World War II war game in the world. And that order dice mechanic is such a huge part of why, because exactly what you've said. Yeah. It, I mean, we've all had in any number of games, and this is not to say that you go, I go is inherently bad, mm-hmm. but especially the more competitive it gets, or if there's an imbalance of competitiveness, and you get I go, you go, we've all had those games in various systems where you get squashed on turn one. Yes. And you're like, why did I bother turning? Well, up? I now know you played, I know you, I know that you played Warhammer growing up now. Even if you didn't mention that, yeah. uh, now I know because I've been there, you know? I've been, been, I've been on both sides of that, and it's not fun for anyone. Right. Um, you know, when eighth had dropped, running around with just a Lehman Russ horde, I was like, this isn't fun. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> no, totally. But that that's the great thing with bolt action, is that even if you can bring the most disgusting, uber-competitive list, if the dice aren't on your side, and the order dice aren't coming out of the bag for you at the right times, what are you going to do? And I, I love that. Yeah. It's great. It's the great leveler of bolt action. Right. Is the no, vagaries totally. of the dice bag gone. No, totally. And also, too, the way you set your list up, right? Because yeah. I, there are ways of getting more dice. And I love the, the way in which the math kind of comes out there where oh, yeah. it's almost like probability, right? Again, you probably know everything I'm talking about given that you're such a prolific member of like you know the, the tournament scene. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. But it's completely spot on. Um, you know, the, and I love the theory craft behind that. Again, right. I really love reading people's lists, listening to people, you know, p- podcasting and blogging about their competitive local scenes right. and seeing the way local meta shift. We hosted an event um, in October with the guys from Southend, um, uh, Southend on Sea War Games Club, SSWG. Mm-hmm. And that was World Open War. And that was functionally the World Cup of Bolt Action. Right. So we had, you know, teams from all over the world. You had two teams from the States come over, the Danes, the Spanish, the Germans, um, the South Africans were there. And it was amazing to see all of those lists interact with each other, all those different ideas that everyone's had about how to play this game. But what was really crucial with that, which I loved, was we built this event deliberately as the be-all and end-all of competitive team bolt action. And everyone had an amazing time. Everyone yeah. played with completely the right spirit. It, there was, you know, none of this nastiness, no cheating, anything like that. Yeah. It was just such a good showcase for the culture and the community of the Warlord Games community. And that's driven by the people in that community. Yeah. That, that's driven by people going, we're all here to have fun. So I have a question about a tournament like that. So is it points-based in the sense that you play X amount of games throughout the tournament and whichever team has the most points wins? Is that how it works? So World Open War was really interesting, actually. Yeah. Because it's kind of a you know World Cup format, there were four, 16 teams seeded into four groups for day one. And you played, obviously, you play your group games on day one. The winners of each group went through to the championship group on day four and played each other. And that was how they decided who the champion was. Right. But to ensure that everyone else still got the same number of games in, all the second place teams go into the second place group, third place and the fourth place. Oh, that's genius. So, so every, and then there were four different levels of championship. And at this stage, because it's going to be a recurring event, 
Mm-hmm. Um, for example, the winners of um, Division Two, which I believe was Scotland. Don't quote me on that. There is an article mm-hmm. out on it, um, but it's been a little while. Um, they were promoted, um, so they've got a number one seed for next year. No, that's cool. And it was just really cool to see how that was done because, yes, there was the onus on this is a championship. There will be one team crowned the greatest. And yeah. prop, uh, props to the Danish first team um, for coming out on top. But also, it was so focused on ensuring that everyone had fun. No matter yeah. if you turned up and went 0-6 as a team, you still got to have six great games. Yeah. Where are you guys hosting this next year? Uh, so it's going to be at the same venue um, at SSWG. Um, it's a great clubhouse. Their clubhouse is unreal um, down in Southend on the south coast of the UK. Cool. Um, and that's um, so if you look up World Open War 2024, you'll be taken to their website. You can see details about how to get in touch if you're looking at fielding a team and coming over. No, that's very cool. I'd love to, um, again, like, I, I mean, it's so unprofessional, but uh, Kelly and I, Kelly, we got to jump on a plane and go to that event and podcast. We have to go to so many events. <laughs> I know, no, it's so cool. Very, I mean, very the other cool. One, the other one you've got to come to is the Bolt Action Grand Tournament. Now, where in, is that? Now, that's in Nottingham. Okay. Um, it's in August. And let me just pull up the exact dates. So yeah, sure, can... sure. Take your time. So that is going to be the first weekend, full weekend of August. Okay. Um, 2024. And First that is full weekend, he- okay. Yeah, and that's held at um, Nottingham Trent University. Um, they, obviously, it's in the summer, it's not term time. So they've got this huge university building, the main building, and it's a celebration of historical war games. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's put on by um, a great, great bunch of people from the British Historical Gaming Society, uh, BHGS. And the that is the singles grand tournament. That is the be-all and end-all okay. of individual bolt action. And it's a great venue. Obviously, it's in Nottingham. Uh, it's just a great celebration. There's a load of other um, load of other games being played. I'm hoping we can get a couple more of ours in there as well. Yeah. Uh, the bolt action one is the biggest tournament there. There's loads of great, you know, we've got a stand there. There's so many things to see and do. If you're going to make one event, I would That's say... It. The Grand Tournament is the one. No, that's cool. Yeah, I've, I've never actually... No, that's actually not true. I've been... I play bolt action, but not on the tournament scene. So I have friends where I live where the way that you were describing bolt action earlier, where you kind of... It's somewhere in the middle. Like, obviously, yeah. you're building lists and things, but it's more... It's a little bit less competitive and more like somebody from the club has all the miniatures and kind of sets everything up and yeah. then you kind of go in and play. You a, come in and play. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so, but I've I've been to a few tournaments because I know that at Historicon, which we go to every year, there's usually some kind of tournament there, and there's a few local stores in my area that do them. But I've never been to what you're describing, where it sounds like. I mean, you probably have international rankings for people. Is so, that, we how does that don't work? have a formal international ranking. Okay, that is a very long term project for me. I'd love to have something like that. Right. where people can play any level of, you know, competitive bolt action, submit their scores, and, you know, get ranked on leaderboards. Right. Um, that is a very long-term project for me. That's, you know, many, many years hence, just because of the amount of work that would take to make sure it's fair. Um, what there is, at what I would call the sort of top end of, and I, I don't say top to disparage 
anyone that doesn't play that kind of game. Mm-hmm. But for the people that really go in on that, you know, there, there, are, there are internal rankings that are kept there. Some of them are more or less formal. The Scots, I got you. Uh, the Scots um, scene up in Scotland, they host a great, they um, keep, do a great job of keeping a running tally mm-hmm. of all of their players. And they just list these are the events that qualify for Scottish Championship points this year. Record your points. Got it. And they crown their own champion. And lots of countries will do that sort of thing. Um, I mean, there is a consensus best player in the world right now. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say who it is um, so that <laughs> I don't get lynched by people that disagree. No, um, I no. hear you. Oh, dude, as running a podcast, I think about that pretty much all the time. But no, there are there are some people that are, you know, every time they go and play, they're in the running for best player in the world. And yeah. I think that's really cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. Now, there's so many questions I have, um, but just like in, in, in the interest of time, <laughs> what I'm curious about, actually, you know what? Screw the time. I'm actually going to edit myself literally in the moment because you know what? Well, if worse came to worse, you could always come back on at some point. Oh, this sure. is what I'm, I'm curious about. So I want to talk a little personally for a second before we get into more of the professional stuff. So what do you like to play? I mean, beyond bolt action, like if you are getting together with your friends, or you're getting together at work. Um, I, obviously, bolt action is a big part of your gaming lexicon, but what else do you like? So for me, obviously, bolt action, as you say, is the, the sort of the, the main focus. That's most of what I paint. That's most of what I hobby, because it's most of what I need. I really love Victory at Sea. I'm a huge naval nerd. I really love great big battleships. Yep. And sat there with a notebook, keeping records. It's old school. I love it. Yes. Um, the Germans have a word for being nostalgic for a time you didn't experience. And that's very much me in some cases. I think because I grew up reading White Dwarfs that were written before I was born. Yes. Um, yes. But that gets a lot of that feeling. The other big thing we do, so our CEO, John Stallard, has the single greatest gaming room in the world. Um, it is, it's got this enormous table. I, I want to say it's a 12 by eight, but I feel like it's Oof. longer. That's a big it, table. And it's, it's in a war, it's in a, it's in its own room with his weapons collection, his, his gun collection, his sword <laughs> collection, <laughs> all fun. hung up, all hung up on the racks. And then just cabinets upon cabinets upon cabinets of his personal collection of miniatures. And every so often, every few weeks, there'll just be a shout go out. We're having a game at John's house on Thursday night. Who wants to come round? And yeah. what you'll turn up and it will be a massed battle of, you know, Pike and Shot, Hail Caesar, Black Powder, one of the more old school, traditional rank and flank games. Yep. And what we'll do is, you know, it'll be like three, four guys aside and sausage sandwiches, couple of beers, and literally beer and pretzels gaming. Yes. I, um, and... You're making everybody jealous. Because again, I I was going to ask this question earlier. I mean, you live in arguably, like, I mean, whether you're talking about sci-fi gaming or fantasy gaming or historical gaming, I mean, Nottingham is kind of the mecca. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I feel like I have interviewed so many people from where you live at this point, you know? The fact that you just kind of get this shout out from these luminary figures. Because I mean, I'm sure there are other people that do the same thing, right? Like the Perry brothers and... You know, uh, I know the, even though it's not in the same area, but like uh, Leon from Pendrock and Miniatures also talked yeah. a little bit about this on, on you know, it's just such a cool community and you're not that far away from each other is really the key, you know? Yeah, I think the big thing as well is 
especially when you look at the senior echelons of all of these companies, everyone knows each other. Yeah. And everyone's been involved professionally with each other or socially at some point. Yeah. So it's really nice. You know, everyone's, I think people seem to think, oh, you know, they must not talk. You know, you, warlord employees see someone from Games Workshop and they cross the street. Yeah. It's, we're all nerds. No, totally. We, we, we all love what we do. Well, look, um, I was going to say this, not to cut you off, but look, I mean, it's just really funny. Like, I mean, I have Richard Clark coming on this week talking mm. about his, some of his games. And it's like, I, I'll be very curious to hear his take because, look, there must be a little bit of competition. I'm sure you guys are all friends, but Chain of Command is a pretty good game too, you know? Not to say that I don't love boat action, not to say that I don't love that game or anything, but I'm just saying, like, it must, uh, it just must be very wild to be surrounded by all these people. I could tell you a really sort of funny story. Oh, I'm ready. Um, uh, this, so these my, are the moments in a podcast that I look forward to. My yes. my proudest moment, and this is my proudest moment as a war yes. gamer. And I'm sure Rick will forgive me for telling this because it's in my author bio. Are you sure? Um, it's in my author bio. Um, <laughs> on the community website. And every time he sees me, he'll mention this. Um, so we were a big game at John's house and we were doing the charge of the light brigade with black yep. powder. And I turned up and I got, right, Marcus, you have the light brigade. And all right, cool. Well, what's the light brigade going to do? Well, there are your guns, sir. So <laughs> I'll, order, I'll order a three move charge at the Russian redoubt. And they blunder. And I roll on the blunder table, and the light brigade turn threes about, disappear off the table with the first move of the game. <laughs> That's and, pretty funny. And Rick Priestley, like the actual Rick Priestley, yeah. looks over at me and goes, you're bloody rubbish at rolling dice. <laughs> That's amazing. I'm like, I can die happy now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's so funny. Um, I wonder, I wonder no, like, ahead, what, what, like, because you have all these people like from these different companies and although they, you know, they probably all work together at one point or another, it's like, do they talk about rules? Like, or, or, or are they like kind of hoarding their, their own thoughts for their own like business? You know? I, don't, I, don't, I don't think so. I mean, it's, you know, that's <laughs> far above my pay grade, but I don't think there's much of that. I think honestly, when people get together, it is just for the love of war games. Yeah. Genuinely, you know, and even sort of not lower down the scale, but people that aren't, you know, in these senior management positions at various companies, when we all get together, like, you know, one of my best mates works for Games Workshop, for example, you know, and we all get together and we don't, you know, we're not trying to steal secrets off each other or, you know, chatting about each other's games negatively. Negatively, We're just hanging out and playing whatever game we happen to be playing that day. And it is just that community spirit of wargaming. Yeah. That's and beautiful. honestly, it is. And honestly, I mean, I don't know a single wargamer that only plays a certain set of rules from a certain company. I mean, we buy everything. I mean, it's such an addicting hobby. You know, I feel like I'm going to be doing this, you know, I'll probably be in my deathbed, you know, painting some miniatures, you know, as the last breath is coming out. It kind of <laughs> doesn't matter what company you're buying from, you know what I mean? There's room to play everything, I guess. I mean, there, there, that makes sense. There, there absolutely is. And, and as I say, the thing, the great thing with it being with wargaming being such a broad church and with us as warlord is, as, as I keep saying, we don't mind what your particular flavor is. A, because to be honest, we probably cover it. We've got so much yeah. diversity in our range, but also because 
you'll find something in one of our games that you love. Yes. And then welcome to the community. Yeah, no, no totally. It, it's great because you don't have to go, oh, you know, they only play Judge Dredd and Strontium Dog and, you know, obviously the upcoming ABC Warriors. Yeah. They're, you know, they don't hang out with bolt action players. It's not like that at all. It's you're in. Yeah. I also wanted to heart, uh, call back something that you said earlier. Um, so naval games can be so much fun. So like, yeah. you know, you were describing, um, you know, Victory at Sea. I haven't got a chance to play it yet. I have the rules. Just one of those things that I just haven't got into yet. But I agree with you. There, for, If you've never played, for those of you that are listening, right? I'm sure you're still listening because of this enthralling conversation. But um, there is something really weird about naval games. Like, because I grew up playing some of those pen and paper games. I mean, I've got a whole bunch downstairs. But like, it, it's one of those games or one of those eras where it's like Battletech, if you've ever played Battletech before, where it's almost as fun watching your ship or your mech get blown apart. It's almost as fun watching that happen than doing it to the other person in a really weird way. Like one hundred percent, right? It's and there's I don't know. There's not. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's something fun, I, I guess, in a weird way about your square being broken by a charge or something like that. But I don't I know. Think, I find, you know what I mean? Naval war gaming is just different. It's the, I think there is that level. You talk about naval war gaming, you talk about yeah. uh, Battletech and other games like that. It's that level of detail and granularity where it's not, oh, I've lost a wound. It's a turret has got a jam traverse. So is now stuck firing into the port quarter. Yes. Hey, it's that level. It really, I find, helps bring the game to life. You, you, and then they, what do we do with war games? We tell stories. We push toy soldiers around the table and we tell stories with ourselves and our friends. It's, it's a collaborative storytelling experience, the same as role play, the same as LARP. It's making those stories happen. Yep. And I think for in a lot of cases, the more detail you have, the more immediately apparent those stories become because there's less filling in the gaps required. Yes. And I would argue, again, to give um, credit where credit is due, I think the way Warlord's rules are written, generally speaking, it does build that narrative because you're, you don't, don't get me wrong, there's a level of complexity to learning a game like Black Powder or Hail Caesar or Bolt Action or whatever. But... I find that the rules are manageable enough where you're not just pouring over chart after chart after chart. No. And because you're not having to do that, you have time to build that story in your mind so that 10 years from now, you're telling the story of the time that your square got broken or you're telling the yeah. story yeah. about, you know, the light brigade leaving the table on turn one. You know what yeah, I mean? I remember yeah, exactly. every single game that I played, Bolt Action, Hail Caesar, um, Black Pat. Like, I remember each one and each defining moment of of that game and what happens. Yeah, and, and that's, I mean, above all things, a game should be fun. Yes. You know, that's, I think a lot of the time, and especially on the internet, we can get caught up in discussions of mechanics. And I've been guilty of this before. You get caught up in the discussion of a mechanic or a concept. And you kind of have to just stop occasionally and go, yeah, but I'm having fun doing this. I enjoy this. We all love this. And it's a really good way to ground I find yourself as a war gamer is to go, no, I do this because it's for fun with my mates. Yes. And that's also a great bit of um, motivation when, you know, you're really slogging through a long painting project and you don't necessarily, oh, can I be bothered? I could just, mm -hmm. you know, I could just rain check. And you're like, oh, actually, I'm going to finish these guys. 
because then I'm going to go and have fun with my mates. The models are going to look great. The board's going to look great. Everyone's going to have a good time. Yeah, and that's actually a really nice transition into one of the one of the. I mean, look, I've always wanted to talk to somebody from Warlord, um, but I want to make the connection to education now, right? Mm. So let's back up for a moment, right? Something you just said, Marcus, right? You know, this idea of it almost being academic, right? Like where you have a game and you're yeah. list building or something along those lines, and the amount of energy and time and thinking that somebody will put into that because it's a passion of theirs, I always find the connection between that kind of thinking in the classroom. And that's what I really want to get to talking to you about. Um, Can you tell me a little bit about some of the ad hoc programming that you guys have been kind of pushing um, overseas when it comes to like classroom teachers? Yeah, That's my thing. I absolutely can. But before that, I do just want to kind of lead with a personal anecdote. No, please do it. Which is that writing army lists taught me how to do simple maths. Well, there you go. I I really struggled with maths at school. Yeah. You know, it wasn't something that I was necessarily horrendously bad at once I understood it. But I really struggled with, you know, if John has three apples and Susan takes two, you know, the, the, the language it was couched in. I struggled to engage with because it didn't interest me. Yep. And whereas you sit there with pen and paper and an army book and you work out, well, X percentage of this army must be this. I can spend this percentage on that. No more than X on Y. And before you know it, you've taught yourself a whole bunch of basic math skills without even really thinking that you're learning. Yep. Um, So... I just, from a personal note, massively recognize the value of wargaming in education, quite aside from the pro-social modeling aspect of it. Completely. I, again, like I'm smiling because you're literally describing something I've been saying to parents and uh, you know people who run schools literally for, at this point, like decades, that mm. you are 100% right. If you can get somebody to learn where they don't even know they're doing it because they're having so much fun, it's like... I'll get irate for one second. I just wish every school in the world had game-based learning programs. You know what I mean? Because the experience you're describing, I wish everybody could have that experience in school, whether it's about math or science or reading or writing or whatever. You know what I mean? So I I learned to write, and this is embarrassing, I learned to write writing fan fiction about space marines. Yeah, no, that shouldn't be embarrassing, especially not in the world we live in now. Look, Marcus, I've said this many times in this podcast, uh, we're the cool people now. Maybe not, you know, 30 years ago, maybe we would not. The, the We'd be in our basement. I, I, but... I do just, just want to sort of check up on that. The only reason it's embarrassing is because it's space brains, not conflict force. Uh, <laughs> oh. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's funny. Um, so, but no, so yeah, talk, about the, uh, talk about what we can offer, what we do. Yeah, yeah, As go I say, for it. It is very ad hoc, very simply, because we recognize that every sort of person, every teacher, every school, every club runner coming to us is going to have different requirements for what they need. And there is a long-term project to put together, like we have with event support, with tournament support, something a bit more dedicated for schools. But at the moment, what we found the best way to do is support on a case-by-case basis. Yep. So and that can be anything from, hey, um, I've, I'm a lifelong gamer. The kids are really interested. We've got a bunch of models from a local trade account. 
but I've got no idea how to simplify the game because I'm running for a younger age group. Can you know? Can you help? Can you make some suggestions? Um, all the way up to I really want to set up a club, but you know, is it possible that we could get a couple of rule books? That's you know that sort of thing. And as I said, we just assess it on a case by case basis. Yeah. And it's and it's whether that is support in the term in terms of products, you know, models and books, or what's what we find is far more common in support of advice and guidance. Yep. And then of course in the UK. We'll, as we had with um, with that with that with that with that school, I believe it was the Beckett School um, that came down. Um, we're willing to, we're more than happy to have people come use our store to you know play games, have a good time, and also come and have a tour of the business. And that's really crucial in a couple of ways. Obviously, for younger age groups, it's really you know it's, it's cool, right? You get to see loads of people making toy soldiers, right? For sort of more senior age groups, you know, sort of. In the UK, we'd call them college. I guess we call them high school in the US. Yes. Um, sort of that age of kids. That can be really useful as to seeing how a real business works, seeing what life after school is like, seeing what real people who can, who, you know, you've got the same hobby as them. You can relate to them on a personal level. Yeah. Seeing what their nine to five is like, seeing that it is possible to go and have a job doing the thing that you love. Um, and we do, through various other things, a lot of work with um, local college and local university um, in terms of things like placements in industry and just, you know, showing them about the business and using us as a case study in some cases. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. So, I mean, you're really taking, I know this is a word I use a lot on the podcast, um, very holistic. So, I mean, for me, as a teacher, I'm always thinking about the classroom. It sounds like, from the perspective of Warlord Games, you're really talking about many elements of somebody's life. Like literally, like what could your life look like when you're out of school? Look at a plate. Look at a business like ours. Look at what we do on a daily basis, which I think could be really valuable as well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think you know, it's, it's certainly not a specialist area of mine, but I do think, sort of from personal experience, seeing firsthand is much more believable it's much more engaging than even if you're reading about a real case study of a real right. business in a textbook because you're not necessarily particularly engaged with whatever that is right it's much more it's you're much more likely to retain it it's going to grab yeah, no totally learning by doing is really what you're talking about and again yeah. like yeah absolutely most people like don't get me wrong there are some people who could just listen to something and remember it and then do it but i think that's pretty rare most people you kind of need to take lots of educational sort of directions in order to put everything together. Meaning you got to listen to it. You got to see it. You got to do it. You got to talk about it. And when you can do all those things, usually a student can end up doing whatever it is that you're asking them to do. They could usually do it pretty well, you know? So there were a couple of things that you said that are super important. And I think there's a reason why Warlord could probably do this better than maybe some other people or even companies. Two things. One, I always hear, and I've been running game clubs for 20 years um, with students. So one of the number one uh, constraints, I think, for families and for kids, especially when it comes to historical wargaming or really any kind of wargaming, is getting the models and getting them painted and getting everything ready, which is an enormous amount of time, which I think for Warlord Games, given the amount of staff that you have, you have the ability to really, really make that process easier for somebody. The other thing, Marcus, that you said that I think is really important, 
Um, and you have great, by the way, as a compliment to you, you have great teacher instincts. <laughs> um, what you, I think, noticed, it's I don't think most people understand how difficult it is to explain and teach a game, let alone play it. And I think what you touched on is the fact that when I hear from teachers, most of the time, the thing that they're most nervous about is, oh my God, how do I take all of these rules and make them make sense for a kid? How do I take all of these rules and make them make sense for me? And I think that yeah. that's something really important you just touched on. Well, that's one of those things where actually I would lean a little bit more on my colleagues um, from the store team, mm -hmm. um, who obviously they spend all day being ready and able to demo and intro people to all of our games. And we've got an enormous range of games, right? Yes. And these guys, they've got that knowledge and that ability to make those games engaging for the very first time to brand new people, like people who've never wargamed before, but not simplify them so much that they lose the essence of the game. Yeah. So a lot of the time for those, for those situations, I'll go and ask the guys in the store, hey, how would you demo bolt action to an eight-year-old? You know what, what? What would you keep? What would you scrub? Yeah, and you know, there's that there's that level of skill and passion all throughout Warlord games, that and the level of expertise, which is crucial. Yeah, that I, I'm not ever going to try. None of us are ever going to try and answer a question like that on our own. We'll just go and speak to the relevant experts in the business, who in our case happen to be downstairs. Yeah, in the store. which is very cool. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, what I've always found um, in my own experiences. Um, well, look, the classroom side of things we can hold off on for one second, but yeah, I think for kids, I think, um, yes, like what you're talking about is, is super important and relevant. You want to keep the core of the game there, but you want to kind of remove the things that might impede a student to really kind of get into that game. And I always find keeping the first game small is really important. And really letting let them learn by doing. I find that the single biggest mistake that GMs make when they run games for kids is they talk to them for 40 minutes. Yep. And they talk to them. Because again, like it's, you know, for a lot of people, their normal audience are not eight-year-olds or not 10-year-olds or 12-year-olds, right? So they're, but you know what? I have to say, even with adults, like you, you generally want to spend five minutes going over key concepts and do exactly, Marcus, what you said earlier. Learn by doing. Let's yeah. start pulling some dice out of that bag. And I don't know, exactly. Kelly, what you think. No, I think like uh, it needs to be tactile. You could talk at me like what, how a game or how something's going to function. But after a course of like 20, 30 minutes, I'm going to forget what you said five minutes, 20 minutes ago. Like, you, let's do it with the person. You know, you could do that first round as like a wash or as a demo, but just get them involved in the process so they see it. No, I totally agree. And that goes into work too. I mean, if you're able to have the time to have a mentor and show you what needs to be done and be able to like dedicate the time to sort of answer some questions along the way, like, I don't know, like what you said before, like you're, you're good to go. Like they'll be able to perform the role easily. So, or the job easily. 100%. And actually, you raise a really good point there, Kelly, with the fact that it's tactile. Mm -hmm. And not only is it tactile, it's a creative outlet. And, you know, you see a lot of, you know, a lot of kids sort of struggling to find their creative outlet, their creative outlet. You know, everyone's got different creative outlets, whether that's sports, music, drama, art, whatever. And wargaming is just another kind of form of that of that art, really. You know, whether that's painting and modeling, 
or whether it's more the strategy brain engagement side of playing the game. But that, again, just giving people the opportunity to try this creative um, endeavor and see if it clicks with their brain is so important. I'm firmly of the belief that you make war gamers while they're at school. 100%. You are literally just took the words out of my mouth. Because I think it's funny. Uh, I, we have so many podcasts lined up today. It just so happens that I'm on, I just started my vacation from work today. And I was just literally just talking to, I don't know when the episodes are going to air, but I was just talking to Will Anderson, who is the like pretty much like one of the world's best Scrabble players. And he was saying yeah. the same thing, you know, that when you're a kid, your brain is like a sponge and you just absorb information in a different way than an adult. And Marcus, I could tell you this from experience. You know, what's funny. I've wanted to live in Nottingham for a variety of reasons, you know, for a long time, mostly for the gaming element, obviously, but like coming at it from a perspective as a teacher, I wish I was down the street from you guys because talking about the skills that a kid would get from playing bolt action, you could almost even forget the history part. Don't get me wrong. Playing bolt action and getting a little bit of an understanding of World War II is important, but all of the math, all of the probability, all of the decision-making that goes into a game like that, you can just take all of those skills that the kids are learning and absolutely apply it to writing an essay or doing a mathematical formula. And I've seen it firsthand that the kids who game do better in school. And we haven't even talked about the social component. No, that, I know. That, that was the funny bit. part. Yeah. That was the bit I wanted to jump straight in on. Is, yeah, yes, let's do all it. of that's amazing. But the pro-social modeling is a term that's a little bit heavy-handed possibly for this concept. But yep. just teaching kids the value of having fun collaboratively and the value of healthy competition and the value of shared effort to create a greater whole is so, so important. Yep. Just the idea that you're going to come together, you're going to use a preset framework to have a good time. That's all human interaction. That's all human social interaction, basically, right? Yes. And especially coming out of a post-COVID world where, and I, I really feel for a lot, of, um, a lot of young people that lost a year and a half of their in-person social life to COVID, because I feel it's probably hit them hardest um, of all of us that lost us, you know, a year and a half of our social lives to it. But just being able to show people, hey, this is what it's like in a group environment with people that you don't necessarily know, with people that, you know, maybe don't go to your class or don't go to your school, but you're going to have fun with them and you're going to compete with them, but there are healthy boundaries. There's a level of mutual respect. There's respect for both each other and for the rules, and that's massively important, I think, as well. And it's just, wholesome is a very wishy-washy word, but it's good, clean fun in yeah, a lot of ways, is. if that makes sense. No, it makes, again... It's, yeah, massively, it's massively inclusive, because all of those points I've just made, you could apply to a sport. You could apply all of those points to being on a sports team, but not everyone is able to be on every sports team. Wargaming is so much more inclusive that it gives that outlet. You know, I was I played a lot of sports growing up um, at junior school. I got to senior school. I was a very late developer. I didn't. I wasn't very big. So suddenly, all the sports that I'd loved playing, I wasn't good enough to play anymore because I wasn't physically developed enough. 
So suddenly I've gone from, well, I know what I'm doing at the weekends. I'm playing sports. So, well, what am I, what am I doing? What, what's, where's my group of friends? And then you find wargaming and that's, it doesn't matter how tall you are, how fast you can run. It's just a group of like-minded people having fun. Yeah. I mean, you just took all the words out of my mouth. How are you not a teacher, by the way? <laughs> how, is this, how is this possible, Marcus? Um, I I'd actually have always said that being in the prison service was a lot like being a teacher. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you, had, yeah. you had a lot of people that you were responsible for that didn't necessarily want to be where they were. And it was your job at the end of the day to eventually send them away from that place better people than when you got hold of them. Yeah. No, totally. I mean, you're, you're describing the job. Absolutely. So, Marcus, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, even though I feel like I got to a lot of the questions I wanted to ask, and look, for somebody out there listening, I think that they got a really nice look into what Warlord is all about, beyond even just the miniatures. Like, I feel like we have a sense of the philosophy of your company, right? And while there are plenty of other things I want to ask, I feel like we've done a pretty good job giving you this opportunity to kind of tell everybody what you guys are about, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. Are, are there things that you want to talk about? I mean, because I feel like we've just barraged you with questions. I mean, there, like, for example, in your own life, like, in terms of wrapping this podcast up, like, what are you working on? Like, what are some things that you're doing, whether it's outside of the company or in the company? Um, so, I mean, at the moment, um, in terms of work, there's a tournament um, actually run by the same people that run World Open War with us uh, called Three Good Men in March. And myself and two of my best mates in the world, we're going to play that. We're, you know, we are obviously we're supporting the event, but we're not turning up as Team Warlord because I'm the only one of the three that works for Warlord. Right. We're just going to go and have a really good time playing at the event. So I'm actually working on my Slovakians oh, for nice. that. Because cool. I'm, I'm allergic to playing normal bolt action armies. <laughs> I gotcha. No, I hear you. It's like playing Napoleonics and playing the French. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, that's fun, but... Grand you know. Duchy of Barden. Yeah, no. Yeah, those are always the wild, <laughs> most wild uniforms, you know what I mean? So, um, so that, yeah, that's kind of my, my current hobby no, project. Cool. Um, and then after that, I've got some US Marines that I picked up. Cool. Um, because I recently um, reread Helmet for My Pillow. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, that's a great by, book. Uh, by, by Robert Leckie. Yep. Oh, yep. Um, and yeah. that kind of got me thinking, you know what? Actually, I've not done a Pacific Theater Army before. I wouldn't mind cracking on with that. Yeah. Well, you'd uh, be proud of this, by the way, not to interrupt, but you'd be very proud of this. The reason I jumped at that book is because some of my best friends in the world, like old gaming buddies of mine who are much older than me, um, dude, they've done Peleliu so many times with bolt action, like yeah. real innovative stuff. I'll have to send you the photos of it, you know? And, and obviously, twenty-eight millimeter. So, yeah, and, and that's you know, so that's that's on my hobby table. Yeah. Um, in terms of professionally, um, we are just about to roll out a brand new or a revamped um, event support package oh, for cool. twenty twenty-four, and that's basically just a streamline. So it's the same level, the same value of support, but it's just to streamline it to make everything quicker and easier. Right. No, that's um, awesome. So that's going to make the process of tournament organizers getting support from us easier for them and easier for us. And there's also the new event special figure, mm -hmm. which you can only get through going to a, a wall or game supported event and winning one. Um, that's the only way you can get that many. We've had people offer to buy them and we've said, sorry, but no. 
Yeah. Um, so last year it was Major Koenig, um, Ed Harris's character from Enemy at the Gates. Uh, I can't say what it is yet this uh, for next year. Yeah. But again, it's another classic war movie character. Yeah, that's awesome. Very um, cool. So that that's been obviously a professional thing, and of course the release of ABC Warriors um, upcoming, which I don't know how much that translates to necessarily to yourselves. Are you guys 2000 AD fans at all? So I'm a little bit familiar with it. So, but not not wholly, if that makes sense. Let me give you the how many words? Three word pitch. Go, do it. Giant badass robots. Oh well, there you go. There you go. <laughs> it's always fun. No one, no war gamer can resist those three words. You know what I mean? It, it's um, suit. The models are incredible. The game's based on our Judge Dread um, system. So it's um, obviously an Andy Chambers um, system at, at its core. And it's super fun. It's fast-paced. It's a little bit silly because it's 2000 AD. Yeah. In that quintessentially 2000 AD way. Um, and it is just a really good little small-scale game of big stompy robots beating the snot out of each other on Mars. No, that's awesome. And um, I, I mean, I'm definitely, like I said, I'm a huge Battletech fan. So anytime you, you know, either giant monster games or giant mech games, they're always, uh, there's a, they're always enjoyable. Actually, connecting it back to what we were talking about earlier, because I find them to be a, a lot like naval games, which I really like, yeah. you know? So mm. this is more hero, fast-paced, okay. skirmishy, because the robots are people at the end yeah. of the day. This isn't mechs. This is robot badasses. Um, think... A little bit of T one thousand kind of vibe. Yep. If you had to place it in the context of what kind of robot, just without okay. all the disgusting flesh on top. No, that's awesome. That's um, very very cool. So there's that. Obviously, we've been doing an awful lot of marketing for that. Yeah. Um, so lots of writing, lots of making sure stuff goes out, and then looking forward. Obviously, I can't give you any specifics for 2024. 2024 is going to be a huge year. We've got loads of really really cool releases upcoming. Um, all across the year, there really is going to be something for everyone. And it yeah. goes back to that idea of everyone in the community, there's something we do for them. You know, there's something they can take away to their little bit of the community. Right. And hopefully they'll see something else. They go, ooh. And that community just keeps interconnecting and people meet people, people play games with people. And, you know, in, in an ideal world, everyone knows everyone. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, and on that note, I mean, I hope um, through this little podcast, even though you guys are a huge company, I, I just hope and I'm, and I'm even beyond the word hope, I just think that getting more ears uh, to people out there, getting more listens, getting more ears to the kinds of things that like your company is doing amongst others as well, I think we'll just keep kind of snowballing the hobby, um, 100%. you know, the deeper we go, you know, so I really appreciate the fact that you were willing to come on because I know that you're very busy, you know. So always happy to come on and yeah, talk super to people fun. in the community. Because and, again, they, this is fun. I enjoy this. This is the kind of thing I do for fun. Yeah. Is talk about the hobby and how much we love it. And the one thing I do want to say yep. is that I'm willing to sort of do this with anyone, you know, whether that's over email, whether that's a phone call. So specifically for my responsibilities, if someone is, if anyone, any of the listeners are running an event of any variety and they'd like to get any advice and guidance or prize support from Warlord Games, just drop us an email, info at warlordgames.com. Um, my name's Marcus, just ask for me. And similarly, 
if you run, you know, a school, an after-school, a socials club, and you'd like to get some support or advice, that same email address, info at warlordgames.com. And we're more cool. than happy to talk to you. And I mean, you know, it's funny. Normally, I I ask, uh, I you know, I ask the guests to talk about other forms of contact, but it's like, guys and people out there that are listening, if you just type in wargaming, warlord is usually one of the first things that comes up. It is not hard to find this company. And Marcus, uh, again, um, selfishly, we'll probably have to take you up on it because we're going to be at Salute um, in April. So hopefully, we'll be able to make it to Nottingham to kind of take a look at ground zero, so to speak. And if we can't do it then because of other, you know, uh, podcasts and things that we have to do while we're there, we'll definitely have to take you up at some time uh, on that very nice offer from earlier, you know. We'd love yeah, to see what you guys do. Absolutely. I'd love to come and have you down and have a couple of games, carry around the place. Oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, <laughs> Kelly, how cool. do you feel about that? Oh, no, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, that'd be very, very fun. So, all right, Marcus, well, we're not going to keep you any longer. This was an absolute blast. Um, we'll have to get you on again at some point to maybe 100%. follow up on some of those other points that uh, you know, we may not have get, gotten to. But yeah, this was an absolute blast, and I really, really appreciate uh, you coming on. Thank you. No, thank you. appreciate you guys having me. All right, awesome. And Kelly, um, thank you for co-hosting as normal. And without further ado, so for folks out there, we're going to wrap up this podcast. Thank you so much for uh, listening. And don't forget about really, we have a bunch of sponsors, but the one that I want to highlight right now would be uh, BetterHelp. You know, they're one of our biggest sponsors of the show. And I always say this at the end, um, if you need somebody to talk to in the modern world where you might not want to get into your car and drive somewhere to kind of get some of that help that you might need, BetterHelp is literally one click away. So for everybody out there that's listening, thank you so much. Kelly McManus, thank you for co-hosting as usual. Anytime. And peace. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's 20-sided Game of Five podcast. I hope you got as much out of the conversation as I did. If you're interested in learning more about the organizations I work with, please visit www.nextgengaming.org and www.nasaga.org. My Instagram handle is HMGS underscore nextgen underscore inc until next time be well get some gaming in and roll some 20s thank you so much